Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Debbie Godfrey. She is a certified parent educator with over 30 years of expertise in the parenting education field. Through her business, Positive Parenting, she has served many organizations, schools, and communities around the world. Debbie is recognized for her humor and compassion while teaching behavior and discipline tools that work at home and in the classroom. Hello, Debbie, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hello. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm very, very excited, too, because I know I have a good chunk of my audience that, of course, are parents. And uh, I've had several episodes, you know, with experts like yourself that have done very well because... I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with. So I'm very excited of having you here. And, uh, you know, in the, in the best and, and let's say the title of Back to Basics is I always start, you know, at the beginning with my guest and ask you to, you know, share with us, if you will, where you're from and your own beginnings, what kind of family life you had and what were you passionate about when you were growing up? Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California. My mom and dad lived across the street from each other in Venice, California, and that's how they met and where they met. And then we moved out to the boonies, which was Ventura County, an hour north of LA. So we were out of the city. And I had, you know, in many ways, a really good childhood in terms of I had a horse when I was 10 and I had lots of adventures and experiences. I had three little brothers, but you know, the parenting might, you know, was old school, like things today that wouldn't happen. You know, we were spanked with the belt. My, my mom yelled a lot, that kind of stuff. So flashing forward to, you know, when I'm 30, almost 30 years old and I had my first parenting class and started learning different ways to communicate and, and help my children rather than spanking and yelling and all those kind of old school parenting things. Um, there was a lot of, you know, that I revisited about my childhood. And, you know, I love my parents. They did a great job. They did the best they could with what they had. But, you know, I obviously decided to do things very differently. And there was a time where my parents were helping a lot. When I would teach a class at night, they would babysit for me. And at one point I said, you can't spank my kids. And I don't know if my dad ever actually did, but he was definitely a threatener. And I and he's like, well, if I can't discipline him, then you can't, I'm not going to watch him. And I was like, okay, so for like eight months, I literally did not take my kids over to my parents to be babysat because my dad would not agree to never spank my kids. And so that got a little tiring because I really did need their help and want their help. And, and I think they... I mean, it wasn't that we didn't ever see each other. It's just that I didn't leave them there. And so I invited my dad to the graduation of one of the parenting classes I was teaching because at the end, we used to have like the last night, we'd have a little celebration and people could invite their family members. So I invited my dad and he came and he heard the testimonies from all the parents that had taken my class and just how much they'd changed, 
they weren't yelling anymore. They weren't spanking their kids anymore. And, you know, how much more connected they felt with their families. And we left there and he, and he turned to me and he said, okay, you can bring your kids over again. I won't, I promise I won't spank them, but you've got to tell me what to do instead. Oh, wow. But that must have felt good. <laughs> and he, yeah. And he became my biggest fan. I mean, from then on, he really, even though he didn't know what or why, and I don't think that he ever really let go of his philosophy that maybe you need to spank your kids sometimes, he respected me and he respected my philosophy. And so, yeah, that just thrilled me beyond belief. I, I yeah. can uh, it's it's amazing and I can relate because when my do- when my son I have an 11 year old and a 7 year old so I'm I'm sure I'm going to enjoy this interview a lot with all your <laughs> advice <laughs> but I remember when our son was maybe 6 months old my parents were at home and they don't live I live in Miami they they don't live here and my parents are Italian so Sicilian so very old fashioned also in terms of how you raise your kids and the baby was crying and it was the time to sleep. So we would let, let him soothe himself to sleep. And they're not used to that. So my mom, I, I will never forget, she was eating a piece of pizza and she was listening to the baby cry and say, don't you dare go in there. You leave him cry, blah, blah, blah. And she stopped and she's like, I cannot eat while my godson, my grandson is crying. <laughs> she made me feel like the worst mom. And, and you know, and I let it be and, I, and they they had to respect it. And, you know, after, you know, fast forward a few months when we were someplace and there was a lot of noise and my kids were would sleep anywhere and all that. She was so proud. It's like, oh, well, my they, they taught him to sleep on his own. And then she was proud of the way we had taught him, you know. But at the very beginning, the, I got a lot of criticism as well. So I can totally relate. That's great. Yeah. That's so so let me ask you, as you were growing up, is this something I always like to establish? Were you interested in like n- teaching or nurturing or what, what, what did you dream of becoming when you were a little child? Well, you know, it's funny. I know. I, I mean, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian. I actually, I wrote when I was 12, I wrote to veterinary schools and I found out that was the mid seventies. And I found out that at that time, women weren't really accepted hardly at all. And mm. it seemed too hard to do. And I never really pursued that. But I, when I, after I started my parenting business and doing the marketing and all these things, I started seeing things from my childhood that I do use in my business. One is that I'm very um, compassionate. So I definitely always had a lot of sensitivity for people and animals and that sort of thing. And I think that really comes through in my work. And the other thing that I did that really thrilled me was I was publishing a newsletter every month when I started my business. It was part of my marketing. And I would print and mail 3,000 newsletter every every month. I had um, oh, wow. 3,000 people on my my email list or my mailing list. This was back before email. My mailing list grew to 3,000 and my kids would help me label them. And it was just this big thing. At one point, one of my childhood friends said, you know, we used to write that newsletter. And I remembered and she gave me a copy of it. And when we were in sixth grade, we used to go around to all of our neighbors and get stories. And we published the Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa Weekly News. We would type it up and one of the moms would mimeograph it for us and we would sell subscriptions for like 10 cents. And we wrote this whole newsletter and we would write stories and we would make stuff up and we would print recipes. And I just always looked to that as inspiration for when I was marketing my business. Just, you know, the creativity and the 
the figuring out ways to connect and figuring out ways to communicate with people. I think communication is probably the thing that I take from my childhood of just really connecting and communicating with people, writing. I've always loved to write. And so, yes, I took a lot from my childhood. But if you would have said you're going to be a parenting educator, I mean, obviously, that's not a very well-known field. And also, when I was young, I was I got in trouble a lot in schools and, and at home. I mean, I was always getting in trouble. And I mean, I'm a good kid, but I'm also a troublemaker is how kind of everybody perceived me. And so if you would have said, you're going to have kids and teach parenting, I would have been like, you're nuts. Like, number one, I didn't even think I'd have kids. <laughs> and number two, to teach people what to do when their kids are acting up. Like, that that wasn't anywhere on my radar until until it, I actually ex experienced it. Well, but I love it. And that's why I always ask about that, because I love to establish that relationship. Either way, there's people that have their calling very early on and they fulfill it, you know, and they go through it. And then there's others that find out that calling later, but, you know, the message being you can do whatever you want when you want it to do it. You know, there's no set standard. Right. And I can see that with my oldest daughter. She was an artist and she's like from the time she was two, we knew she was an artist and now she makes her living. Well, she's a weaver now, but it's still art. And she, she you know, she's creative. So that was that thread was always there in a very evident way. And um, I think my prayer was when I when I I went through a lot of things with my kids and splitting up from their dad and things. And I my prayer was, God, give me work that I love that makes a difference in the world. And that lets me be home after school for my kids. <laughs> wow, that's well, that's a great prayer. And that's yeah, and that's how the parenting kind of came about. I just things started happening, and um, and like I said, I had taken a class myself, so I think the seed was there. Then all this kind of came together. So that's and, fantastic, yeah. and and you know I admire because it's true. Like when you get, you know, when you're gonna have your first baby, they tell you, you know, how do you do that that class about you know infant caregiving and all that, how you change the diaper and all that, but no one tells you, you know, what the most important part is, which is you know, how to deal with the kids and everybody has to define their own way. And my, in my personal experiences, a lot of the, uh, of what you learn from your parents are limiting beliefs. Like you repeat what you saw at home and sometimes you're just repeating something that's not good for your kids. Exactly. And, uh, and so I'm very curious. So tell me more about, you know, I would definitely going to talk about positive parenting, but let's start with the challenges, I think, that, that you see in all the 30 years of experience. You know, what do you think are, you know, the things that parents struggle the most with or the most common mistakes parents make from experience? Well, yeah, and I think that is something that trends. It, you know, it comes, there's there's times where, there's cycles where parents are super strict and super on top of it. And then that leads to the next generation of the, those children raised under super strict environments then become much more lenient and they're, they're reacting to that parenting. And so then we get this generation of people that are letting kids do too much, like not giving enough boundaries, not enough limits, And then that leads to people going back the other way. So we tend to swing back and forth. And then even within a family, depending on how you were raised and how you interpreted that, like some people are like, oh, my parents were so strict and I'm never going to be like that. Or, oh, my parents let me get away with too much and I'm never going to be like that. And so we go into parenting with 
as exactly as you said, with our intentions set based on what we experienced growing up. And now if that was pretty good, then that's great. We've got some decent tools to deal with. Most of us, however, did not have parents that were that effective for the most part. They were either too strict, too lenient. Most parents don't know how to handle feelings at all. And so we just go with very limited tools. And so the biggest mistake I think that I see with parents is not educating themselves outside of their family of origin. So just going into this unconsciously and blindly. And I was even having a conversation with my son this morning. He's 30 and he has two kids and he's going through it right now. His, his son is four and his daughter's two. No, actually, his son just, did he turn five? He's either four or five. Anyway, um, he's starting to process all of his own childhood and seeing all the things in his own kids, the way that things he experienced and like his eyes are just coming open. It's so fun to talk to him now because I can, <laughs> you know, we can relate and and just be able to talk about all these things. And and it's And it's really good because to me, that's the deep work of parenting is processing your own childhood experiences, your own childhood wounds, and using that generated knowledge to parent your kids in the best way possible for you, for your family, and in your situation. Mm-hmm. That's that's very good advice. And it's a full-time job. It really is, because I, I've apologized to my parents a few times saying, you know, I didn't understand this then, but now I do. <laughs> And uh, and I've also said, you know, like uh, the example I gave, I know in certain ways they were well meant, but they don't serve the purpose for the for the kids we want to grow up, you know. Right. And so doing it their way, it wouldn't serve that purpose. So you also have to be courageous and brave enough to trust your inner self to say this doesn't serve my kids the way this might have served me and my parents when I was uh, growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And and picking and choosing what's important because I remember it became very important to me. Some of the things that I had learned through teaching what I was learning and all that was that I did not want my kids to be kissed or held without their permission. You know how the, all those sweet yeah. grannies and the aunties, they come up and they kiss all over and they do all this stuff. And I became very sensitive to that. It's like, I don't want I want my kids to say that's okay or not okay, or if they're experiencing any stress to to stop it and, you know, to tell the nice grannies or the aunties, like, that's not okay, that, you know, the child is not experiencing this well and you can't kiss them without asking and, and that sort of thing. And I took a stand for that because it became very important to me because of my own experiencing and seeing my own boundaries not being clear because of that sort of behavior where people just crossed my boundaries and I had no power. And so I became very sensitive to that. I'm also very much a healthy food advocate. So what my kids eat was important to me. I tried to provide a lot of healthy foods, homemade foods. I would always keep carrots and apples around for snacks and not junk food. And when we would go to the aunties and if they had little pieces of candy and things, I let those slide. Like that, even though it was important to me, it wasn't as important as the unwanted kissing. And so I picked and chose my battles in a way that worked for me and my in my family and what I wanted my children to learn and know. And so, you know, if you make everything a battle, you're going to make your family not want to be around you. 
absolutely. <laughs> or fight you all the time. So I think picking, picking and choosing like what is really important. What do you think, what do you want to stand up for your kids for? And if, if it's needed and what, what are you willing to relax the boundaries on? Because it's not that important. You know, other people would do the flip-flop of what I did. They would mm-hmm. make no candy the priority and it's okay if the kids get kissed, you know, without permission. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's just, you know, it's like you have to decide these values on your own. And then what I can provide is ways to achieve that, like how to communicate, how to manage the kids' behavior, how to do all the things, the how-tos of, of doing it. And that, I think, is what's so valuable for the work that I do. It's it's not like we're talking in a lot of philosophy right now, but the nitty-gritty is what parents want and need. And that's that's what I provide in my classes. I love it. And I, and and in fact, you know, during the research for this uh, episode, I went into your webpage, which, of course, is going to be on the show notes. And, that, and that's, you know, perfect to ask you about. Tell us about positive parenting. And, you know, you also name your company that way. And you have, you know, like even a membership of people that, that can subscribe to your videos and your classes. And I think this is very valuable because there's not enough of this out there. As, as a parent, I can relate Uh, So tell us about it. Yeah, so I teach a parenting class that's what we call Adlerian-based. And Adler was a psychiatrist that was around the same time of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. So all three of them kind of worked together. And at a certain point, Carl Jung broke off from Sigmund Freud. He said, Freud, you're a weirdo. It's not about two-year-old unconscious behavior. It's about the psychology of the unconscious. And Carl Jung became very famous. Dream work and psychoanalysis. I mean, he's so front and center in a lot of the psychology today. Well, Adler is a little less well-known, but I feel like he was the more practical and more important piece. And what he said when he broke off with Freud is, you know, he wasn't into all Freud's under weird id, id, ego stuff. He said, Freud, he goes, it's about, it's about social interest. All of us humans are born with social interest. So what that means is that we have certain needs that we're going to try to get met in our life. They're to feel loved, to feel valuable, to feel powerful, to feel like we have a place to experiment and explore, to be special, to belong. So all of our behavior from the time we're born is designed to get those needs met. And we're going to get them met either through appropriate behavior or inappropriate behavior but we're going to get it met through whatever way works. And I'm saying works in quotes, works with these particular parents I have in the beginning. It's parents and then maybe teachers and bosses. And, you know, all throughout our life, we're getting our needs met in our relationships. And so when you have a parent who, let's say, let's say the child is trying to get the parent's attention and the child can't get the parent's attention until the child does something bad like misbehaves, does something inappropriate. Well, that child learns, I can only get love and attention from my parent if I misbehave. So it's really important for us as parents to know that children need proper, you know, an appropriate amount of attention, appropriate amounts of power, or they're going to find inappropriate ways to get those needs met. The same is true when we yell. A lot of parents say to me, why do I have to yell at my kids? Why do I have to ask them 20 times and then yell at them between, because, until they'll do something? And I'll be like, well, because you're saying it 20 times and then you're yelling. So you've kind of trained them that that's what it takes to achieve something. And so then we'll, we'll pull that back and go, how can you 
when you need your child to do something, how can you ask it once very clearly? So I like to use a three-prong approach. If I need to make a request of one of my kids, instead of just, you know, go do this, go clean your room, where I'm kind of shouting, you know, across the room or yelling or whatever I'm doing, um, I'm going to think about what I want to say. I'm going to go to wherever my child is. We don't do any yelling across the house. That's, you know, that's crazy making. And go to where my child is, get on their level. If they're, if they're little, that means getting down on the floor and put my hand on their shoulder like a loving touch and look in their eyes, like make loving eye contact, maybe even smile and definitely smile and say, I want you to go clean your room now, please. Like make the request with connection rather than all the yelling and shouting and telling it. Because when you're just up there doing all that, they're, they're tuning you out and they are not going to snap to attention until you make a connection. And you can choose to do that through yelling or you can choose to do that by getting down there and, and doing a, a three-prong approach of touching them, making eye contact, saying it in a loving way. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a nugget of wisdom you gave there. That's a great, great uh, advice. Uh, I think that, you know, it's in a way it's so common sense, but at the same time, it's not because I, at the speed of or how lives move sometimes, I think we are parents are on the move. So even to stop and touch them and look at them in the eye, it's time. <laughs> and I think sometimes we just, we will yell while we are multitasking. Yeah. And, and so when you understand how much you're shooting your own foot doing that, when you understand how much that's undermining the effectiveness of your parenting and how much that's undermining the authority in your parenting. And that's what I think I do as I bring awareness to these things that are very simple, but we don't think of them. I mean, one of the biggest complaints parents have is in the morning, getting the kids up and ready and out at the door on time. So I'm not late for work and they're not late for school. Morning's often a huge chaotic time. And one of the greatest solutions to morning chaos is completely counterintuitive. And it's to, to sit down and spend five or 10 minutes just playing with your kids. <laughs> and just mm -hmm. like you just said, like, it, the, that's the last thing that would occur to us when we're rushing around trying to get ready, trying to get out the door. The last thing that would occur is to take extra time because we think we don't have it. But if you start off your morning or get partway through the morning and then say, hey, let's just sit down and play for a few minutes, that chill time, that time of connection, that time of no time, because kids aren't on our stress time zone. They're just playing in their world. And, and, but when we give them that five or 10 minutes of just true connection and lack of stress, they tend to jump up and get ready and yeah. in a much better fashion. They're much more willing. They're actually more capable because we've, we've calmed their, their stress brain down. You know, our stress brings them stress. And so we've, we've calmed all that down by just spending. And honestly, it does not take more than five minutes. You can do this for five minutes and tr completely transform a morning routine that's stressful. Yeah, that's great advice. I have to say we don't suffer with the morning, but I can totally see the benefit. Like sometimes we're busy and they ask you for two minutes. And I've learned this already through trial and error that sometimes just stop and give give them those two, because it's really two minutes is what you're saying. It doesn't yes. have to be half an hour. Right. But just by saying, sure, baby, what you need and then doing it and then going back, it's a much better dynamic than if I put it off. I'll, I'll do it in a second. Uh, you know, we'll do it in two hours when I finish my work because it just creates attention. 
than that that I feel it in them. And uh, I will never forget when the pandemic started, I think it was the middle of a weekday and I jumped in the pool with my little girl and she told me, this is the best day of my life. Oh. And, and I say, why is that, Emma? And I do a lot, of, we do a lot of stuff with them. I say, because I get to have mommy all for my, all to myself. Oh, And I, I would never forget that because I realize how they see, you know, our normal life. Like they're competing with our normal lives. Right. They're competing right. with our jobs. They're com- because they, they want that attention. And, and I always keep that present that even if, if they're being good kids and they're not telling you, they, they are craving that time. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's the true goody. That's the reward is our time with them when they're little. It's that they they will remember the time we spent with them, not the things that we buy for them. I remember my daughter was giving um, her dad advice of he was at when she was a teenager and she said you know when we were growing up my mom would take us camping and we would do things together and that that's what i remember it's like don't buy your kids thing he was asking advice about his daughters which are her her step what is it called yeah stepsisters or whatever they are half sisters and um and you know and she she's like don't buy them stuff do things with them that's what people remember and it's it's really true it's like those experiences that time that's so important and just like you said at the very beginning you know it's only 20 years we have a lot a lot of life so making this a priority for the for the time that we're doing it is super important and i think a lot of people get that when they take my class once we get in there and start learning all the different things that i teach people do start shifting their priorities i had one couple that adjusted their schedules. I mean, dad started going, mom started going into work at like four in the morning. So she would get up before everybody was up and go into work. Dad would get up, do the whole morning routine, get the kids to school. And he went in, I think at nine or something, whenever, once the kids were all dropped off, she would get off work at, I think it was one or two or whatever it was, pick up the kids. And so they, they stopped having to do after school care because uh, they shifted their schedule so that mm-hmm. one or the other of them was in charge. And they just decided to do that on their own because they saw like, we could do this. We could keep doing this crazy schedule where we're both working, you know, eight to six and never seeing our kids and being stressed when we see them. But maybe we can figure out a different solution and figure out a way to do this ourselves. And, you know, they that that's the kind of decisions that families make when you have a, a real awareness about how important this is and how do I want to do this and really bringing it to consciousness rather than just doing it, which is what most people are doing. They're just doing it without thinking about it. Yeah, they, they, a lot of people are on automatic pilot and yes. they think they cannot challenge what they have. I think that's right. one of the issues. And, uh, you know, in my case, I work for the family business and one of the reasons I do uh, work for, you know, my, my father's company, it's I know I'm not going to get fired to go pick up my kids at school. And I, <laughs> I have my own uh, schedule and I work very hard. Anybody can can tell you that. But I tell, yeah, can I be working maybe for another kind of company making way more money and all that? Yes, but I am there for my kids. I pick them up almost every day at school. I don't have my nanny picking them up. I don't want my kids to be picked up by the nanny. And I respect those that have to do it because they have no other option. But because I have an option, I just want to use it. And I know, as you said, this is a a certain stage, you know, they're going to grow and they're going to start coming on their own and all that. So then you readjust at that time. 
for what you have. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think when they become teenagers, we think, oh, they don't need as much. But it's interesting because the needs just shift. So they go from needing, like little kids need a lot of attendance, like making their lunches and doing all these things for them. Whereas the, the, the teenagers, they can start doing a lot of the things for themselves, but they still need us in relationship with them. And they still need us to be there to have somebody to talk to, you know, to work through things. And so to maintain our relationship, our communication with them through connection and by having parented in a way that keeps that connection strong, we can be really valuable and helpful to our teenagers and, you know, and be able to, to really be there in a way that they need. Mm, very, very, very interesting. So I'm curious because you are an expert on this. And of course, I'm sure many people are going to check out your, your classes. And, and this is, I mean, there's so much one can talk about kids. Yes. But <laughs> as a parent, obviously, and I'm not from the United States, I'm from Venezuela. But, uh, you know, one of the things that worries me the most as any parents here, it's, you know, to see what's going on with our kids and the violence and how they're choosing to, to solve their issues sometimes scares me because I even see it in my son and he's not a violent kid, but he takes, you know, he takes defeat in such a strong way. Like, I don't remember like feeling worthless when something, you know, didn't go my way. And we're certainly not the kind of parents that that instilled that. But I think, you know, even when you see, you know, the terrible shootings that happen all the time, this this somehow it's getting into their kids' mind that there's no solution to life's problems. Yes, and I think it's with good reason that we're all concerned. And I think this latest one, too, had me thinking deeply about the lack of support for school counselors, which I think in the coming years, if, if people out there need a job, that's going to be one of the biggest jobs coming is counselors. Mm -hmm. I mean, our mental health situation is super bad. And the, the attorney general came out, I think, yesterday and made a statement about it and all that. So it's it's with good reason that we are concerned and to seek help when we need it. And I think, yes, I, I was even thinking, like, how could I be available? I would love to be available to help people because I don't, I'm not a counselor, but I teach parenting. And I think there's so much to what I do that can help. And I taught classes all through the pandemic. So every day I did a free class for about six months when the pandemic started, just a half an hour a day. And I'd have 80 or 100 people from all around the world show up. And it was just amazing because all of us wanted to just get through this very stressful situation. There was no, there's no way to know how to navigate this, but we did it together and we did it through just me teaching what I teach, which is great communication skills, and then looking at how we can apply that to the stresses that are happening now. And what I've seen through all the hundreds of parents that I've worked with during these times is that the parents who are coping well, the, the kids tend to cope well. The parents who are super stressed and upset and having a lot of challenges, you know, losing jobs or being forced to go to jobs but not having childcare or being, you know, afraid of getting people sick. All of those kind of stresses also translate to the kids. So how you're coping with this is going, you're going to pass that along to your child. And so if you're seeing things in your child, like you mentioned your son and seeing him unable to cope with how things are working, look and see how are my husband and I, how are we handling conflict? How are we negotiating things? Can we role model 
starting to feel upset and then role model like, okay, I'm going to calm. I'm feeling upset right now. I'm going to calm myself down. I'm going to take 10 deep breaths or I'm going to go journal in my journal. Like be really obvious about our own coping mechanisms that are healthy in front of our children. Because I think too often we don't do enough role modeling how to handle stressful situations. A lot of parents will say things like, well, we never fight in front of my kids, our kids. And I'll be like, well, how are they going to learn to negotiate conflicts then? You know, yeah, if you, yeah. you, you, need to, you need to fight, not in an unhealthy way. If you're, you know, if, you, if you're fighting in a very unhealthy, dysfunctional way, don't do that in front of your kids. But just the regular everyday negotiations that need to happen in a family, do that in front of your kids. Let your kids see how you and your spouse na navigate these things. Like, well, you know, that won't work for me, but how about this? And will that work for you? And, you know, we've got these things going on. How are we going to figure this out so that we all get what we need? And start negotiating those things and acknowledging each other and, you know, figure out what what coping skills would you like your son to to have now and start figuring out ways to role model that. And don't hesitate to seek help. I know it's really hard to get right now. Um, a lot of people that I'm hearing are trying to get counseling and wait times can be two or three months. And it's, it's super difficult when you need, when you need help right now in this, in the world that we're living in. So don't hesitate to keep looking and keep trying and don't give up. Just don't give up. That's the, the main thing is to keep looking for answers. You can always find it. I know I used to have, when I would teach classes, you know, 80, 90% of parents just do great with this and have super transformational experiences and love it. And then there's 10 or 20% of parents who love it, but they find that it doesn't always work for their children or a one of their children, usually it is. And I found in my experience and, you know, retracking with these parents over time, there's usually something going on. And so if this isn't working for a parent, I'll encourage that parent to keep exploring options, keep looking for things. And usually the child will end up with a diagnosis of, you know, ODD or, you know, they've got ADHD or they have sensory problems. Like there's something going on with that child where they need more intensive help than just a parent taking a parenting class and learning to communicate better mm -hmm. with their children. And so there's always a reason for the things that are going on. Like nothing is happening for no reason. Your children right. are not out to get you. They're not trying to ruin your life. If they're behaving in a way that's distressful or distressing you, there's a reason that they're behaving that way. And we need to pay attention to that and keep seeking help and ways to handle and what to do. And I think my class does provide a lot, a lot of, in, you know, gives parents ways to have a lot more insight into what their children, why their children are doing what they're doing. Well, that's it's fantastic. No, I think that uh, just by hearing you speak and 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 just the, the all the wisdom you're sharing, I think uh, everybody, me including, is convinced of that. So we definitely, I know that, that my audience is gonna check that out. So, Debbie, is anything else that we haven't discussed that excites you? Any project? Anything you want to share with the audience? Well, no, I'm just doing my thing. And I, oh, I have my podcast, my Positive Parenting yes. Pep Talks podcast. It's just five minutes a day or less, sometimes over four minutes, of just on any topic. I do all kinds of topics. So I know parents often are busy and, you know, want just that little boost. So if you can just listen to a five-minute pep talk in the morning, I think it can start your day off in a, in a really great way to have a, you know, positive thing to think about regarding your kid's behavior. 
Mm, that's that's great format. I think that's that's fantastic. I definitely will subscribe to that. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, because as, as I totally agree with you, I think there's no enough help or enough resources that you can use because this is a an ever changing situation with the kids, and there's so many different components and at play that you really have to be very watchful and and have your ears and eyes open at all times. Right. Right. And just be connected. That's, that's the main thing. I mean, if, if for you as a parent and, you know, anybody listening, just getting on your child's level and connecting with them, picking them up, hugging them, just doing nothing with them, you know, taking them for a walk, any, just connecting that to me is more than everything in this, in these times. Mm, yeah, very, very, very true. That's the, that's really the purpose of when I came up with this podcast almost three years ago was about that, about human connection and genuine connection and having talks that, you know, like this talk, I knew if I we would have had it, you know, in, in a restaurant, you and I, I would have said, oh, I wish my friends would have listened to this because it's so valuable. <laughs> and uh, so to put these conversations out there and be of help and resource and support to anybody that, that needed these words and needed to know an extra resource available to you if you're dealing with any of these issues or if you just want to improve your parenting skills. So I, I thank you so much. And the last question in all of my episodes is... You know, besides helping people and being such a good person and, and spreading goodness in the world, is there, what's the thing that makes you tick? Like, that makes you connect with yourself? Um, It's, it's my horse. She's my soulmate. So, oh, yes, you I still spend have the horsey. I do. I have, uh, yes, I have a horse and she is, yes, I Yes, that's my my soulmate and my connection. And I, when I was a kid, that was another thing. You know, when I was a kid, I had horses. And I remember there was a time where I was just be like, I can't talk to anybody, but my horses always listen to me. And I spent <laughs> a lot of time with them. And, you know, they really saved my life. So yes, when I'm feeling the stress of what's happening in this world and, you know, not most of the time I do pretty good because I am providing a service and I feel like I'm doing my life's work. And so most of the time I feel calm in that I'm doing my part, but it still gets to me, especially with the shooting last week. That one just really got to me because um, the parents were involved, you know, they, mm-hmm. and that just really hurt. You know, I just wish that parents were more, those parents would have been more attuned to their to their son and not kind of encouraged this to happen. So spending time with my horse is how I get back to center. Well, I love it. I love that answer because, yeah, uh, yeah the animals and, you know, the pet, yes. you know, the, we've had all sorts of responses to, to this question. But I think that's uh, incredible because it's a connection at a different level. So, it's, yes, it's, it's great. Well, Debbie, I really thank you for your time and, and for being part of Back to Basics. I'm honored and, uh, you know, uh, we wish you well. And definitely we will be sharing all, you know, your webpage and courses so that anybody out there that feels can benefit from this, which I think is anybody that's a parent, <laughs> can check you out. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And I, I really appreciate you having me here. It's been a pure joy. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Until mm-hmm. the next time, everybody. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. 
this is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.